from the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. I'm in the midst of a four-part series on Israel-Palestine, and this broadcast is the second of that four-part series. It features Dr. Jonathan Kutab. Dr. Kutab is a leading human rights attorney and peace activist in Israel and Palestine. He is co-founder of the Palestinian Center for the Study of Nonviolence and the Mandela Institute for Political Prisoners. He's a board member of Sabil, the Ecumenical Liberation Theology Center. I caught up with him by telephone. By way of introduction, here are four clips from his keynote address in April 2013 at the Friends of Sabil Conference in Pasadena, California. He talked about four signs of hope. First, the Arab Spring. You all know about it. It's significant because it shows us how very rapidly a situation can change, which festers for a long time, how very quickly, in a matter of weeks or months, situations that everybody thought were stable, completely unmovable, all of a sudden are turned. Secondly, and very paradoxically, there is a major shift in Israel today. It is a shift towards the right wing. It is a shift away from principles of international law. It's a shift away from even the pretense of trying to be a Western-style democracy. It is a shift towards reliance on brute power that is no longer camouflaged by a pretense of wanting peace. Anybody who is familiar with what is said in Israel, in Hebrew as opposed to what is said abroad, is very aware of this change and how ultimately destructive it can be. Paradoxically, I say, that is also a sign of hope and of the change to come. Brings me to the third point. We see even in this country a movement away from the kind of support that Israel and its policies used to have. Oh, make no mistake about it. It is still powerful. APAC is still a powerful agency with money and access to power. But it no longer commands the minds and the hearts of people. Even within the American Jewish community, there is such a moral disgust with what is happening in their name in the Israel that they love. Fourth sign of hope. The major changes in the evangelical community in the United States. 
the changes that we have seen recently are phenomenal. A small group of evangelical and other Christians in the Palestinian community and a large group of faithful evangelicals in this country have been working on their fellow evangelicals, reading the scriptures with them in a very conservative, theologically, stick with conservative way, have shown that Christian Zionism is not really what the Bible teaches. And that a Christian commitment, even for Orthodox conservative Christians, includes a commitment to justice and includes love for Palestinians as well as for Israelis and includes a rejection not only of racism and anti-Semitism, but also of discrimination against Palestinians and of apartheid and of militancy and militarism and reliance on military power. That was Dr. Jonathan Kutab speaking at the Friends of Sabeel Conference in Pasadena, California in April of 2013, offering four signs of hope. He is with me today via phone from Washington, D.C. Welcome to Religion for Life. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit, just a few moments, about your personal story and, and why your work is important to you? Well, uh, I'm a Palestinian attorney. I've been active in human rights and in issues of peace and justice for uh, many years. Uh, I'm a Christian. Obviously, my faith is very important to me as well. And, and what is your work in human, in human rights specifically? Well, I, I have uh, a number of uh, organizations that I'm involved with. I helped found Al-Haq, the first Palestinian human rights organization, which was an affiliate uh, of uh, the International Commission of Jurists. It's based in Ramallah, and it does a lot of documentation of human rights violations, research, uh, works on issues of rule of law, both uh, uh, with the occupation and with the Palestinian uh, society itself as well. And you also are um, a member of Sabil, the Ecumenical Liberation Theology Center, and a chairman of the Holy Land Trust, uh, working for nonviolent solutions in Israel-Palestine. That is correct. Uh, my work with Sabil, of course, uh, uh, Sabil grew out of uh, discussions that uh, we had with uh, Reverend Naim Atik, an Episcopalian uh, priest. Uh, the idea is to try and see how our faith can be relevant uh, in our particular context, which is uh, Palestinians living under the occupation. Uh, so, so that has been a very interesting part of my uh, involvement as well. well. What are, can you talk a little bit, uh, spend some time with me, what are some of the human rights and civil rights issues that Palestinians are facing? We can look at it as a human rights issue with universal human rights being uh, uh, principles that apply across the board to everybody. 
but we can also look at it as a particular and specific situation where a local population has been basically taken over and invaded by another group laying historic claims to the same land and wanting to make it a Jewish place, uh, excluding the original inhabitants. That meant that a lot of the inhabitants had to be pushed out and certainly kept out, and those who remained had to be controlled and subjugated. Uh, flowing out of that were a whole variety of violations in terms of lack of equality, lack of political rights, uh, economic restrictions, uh, arrests, administrative detention, restrictions of freedom, uh, and if they dare resist, of course, uh, there, there are even worse uh, consequences, including killing, imprisonment, torture, uh, deportations, uh, as well as a wide variety of restrictions on personal, individual, and communal life. Uh, their lands are confiscated. Their uh, movement, their right to move from place to place is severely restricted. Uh, obviously, those who have left the country for any reason have a very hard time coming back, and those who stay uh, are very uh, much pressured into leaving. A whole variety uh, of uh, human rights violations flow from that basic essential idea of trying to take that land and make it Jewish and make it for the Jews to the exclusion of its original non-Jewish inhabitants. Do you see this situation uh, getting worse or better or staying the same since um, several decades ago? Well, it's definitely much worse for the Palestinian Arabs uh, living in uh, Palestine, in that area. Much, much worse, because the restrictions are at all levels of society. I mean, we can think of particular indiv individual situations in the world today where there is more torture or where there is more uh, uh, restrictions on political freedom or where there is more of one or another of the human rights violations. But I can think of no other place where the restrictions occur at every level to all members of a society as we have under this very, very long uh, occupation and oppression that Palestinians have uh, in, in Palestine today. Um, you, you might know that I am a Presbyterian minister and I'm a commissioner to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church this summer, and uh, our, our General Assembly will be receiving a number of um, resolutions, uh, many of them related to the boycott, divest, sanction movement. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what that movement is about, its goals and its strategy? Well, uh, the movement itself, it is uh, very clear uh, and a nonviolent attempt to respond to this situation of oppression we are in. Many people feel that Palestinians have the right of armed resistance. Uh, so they pick up the guns, they shoot at Israeli soldiers, settlers, civilians, you name it. Uh, I happen to believe, and uh, of course, uh, uh, Sabil and other organizations I'm involved with happen to believe that violence is not the answer that we must seek an effective, nonviolent, but real, not just uh, nominal 
response to the occupation. Uh, so, of course, we want to see peace there, and we want to see a just solution. But if the dominant powerful party refuses to provide that peace, refuses to give us equality or freedom or liberation, uh, then we must work for it, and we call on others to help us uh, in that direction. That's where boycotts, divestment, and sanctions come in. And now the the government of Israel says oftentimes that the issue is really uh, regarding um, uh, defending against terrorism and um, against uh, feelings of animosity towards them. How do you respond to that? Well, uh, I think every oppressor, uh, when they are uh, confronted or uh, opposed, uh, they claim that they are acting in self-defense, of course. They're defending the continued oppressive uh, situation, and they call their enemies terrorists. Uh, outlaws, illegal rebels, uh, etc. Uh, and, and, and that's normal. And in this situation, of course, uh, Jewish Israelis, having gone through the horrific uh, Holocaust, are particularly sensitive, and they would see any kind of action against them, even nonviolent action, to be a sort of continuation of the trauma of anti-Semitism and uh, the Holocaust uh, and uh, what they went through. The reality on the ground, however, is entirely different. Security becomes an excuse to allow everything. It's allowing right now a siege of Gaza. Uh, a few days ago, the Israelis sank a boat, the Gaza Ark, whose sole purpose was to get agricultural products out of Gaza so they can sell them outside and live. Uh, so the restriction on uh, allowing people to take things out of Gaza, food out of Gaza, was, was, is used as, uh, under the pretext of security. Now, we must be very clear. Uh, security is important, of course, to everybody. But in a situation of conflict, uh, security can become an excuse. Why? Even in the United States, national security is used as an excuse to take away many of uh, our liberties here. So we have to be very careful of this claim of security, which is used all the time. Well, one of the um, or organizations that's connected with the Presbyterian Church USA is the International or is the Israel-Palestine uh, Mission Network, and they published a document for study called Zionism Unsettled. Have, have you read that document? Yes, I have. Uh, do you believe that it's uh, accurate, and do you have any criticisms of it? It is accurate. Uh, I don't particularly have criticism of it. I think it probably says, uh, provides more of the truth than most people in the United States are comfortable with. Uh, people in the United States have lived with the reality of Zionism. They have seen it as a proper response to uh, the evils of the Holocaust and anti-Semitism. And they can't quite wrap their minds around the fact that Zionism itself can be a movement of oppression, of racism, of discrimination, of depriving other non-Jews of their rights. Now, we are so caught up in the drama and the trauma and the evil of the Holocaust that we are all too often blind to the problems of Zionism and what that could cause to other people. 
And I think this study uh, really faces that question head on. Can, can you give us a definition of, of Zionism and, and why you think that Zionism itself is a problem? I have challenged my Zionist friends, and I have many of them, to give me their definition of Zionism. Uh, Zionism at its roots includes the concept of a Jewish state. Now, how can a Jewish state not necessarily be unfair to non-Jews who are living in that place? How can it avoid being racist and discriminatory? In theory, I think it necessarily includes those elements of racism. In reality, it definitely does. Our experience as Palestinians with that reality has been catastrophic. It has been ethnic cleansing. It has been collective denial of our existence and legitimacy. And it has been uh, totally oppressive and racist towards us. And, and, and our uh, people. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Jonathan Katab, attorney at law, chairman of the Bethlehem Bible College, a member of Sabil, the Ecumenical Liberation Theology Center, and a chairman of the Holy Land Trust that is working for nonviolent solutions in Israel-Palestine. And he's with me via phone. Uh, what is your uh, evaluation, Mr. Katab, of a possible two-state solution? Uh, or, or what is a just and peaceful possible direction to take now? Well, uh, for many years, uh, people like myself and others have thought that a two-state solution was a reasonable compromise. Uh, it was not very clean. It was not very elegant. It was a result of historical accidents. Uh, basically, it said that that portion of Palestine, which was not captured by Israel in 1948, but which was captured in 1967, uh, 22% of Palestine basically would be turned into a Palestinian state while Palestinians uh, abandoned their rights to 78% of uh, Palestine, which will become the Jewish state of Israel. That solution, uh, that pragmatic solution, was constantly undermined by Israelis putting up Jewish settlements throughout the occupied territories and creating a two-tier system in the occupied territories uh, that separated totally and distinguished Jews from Arabs. It had a separate court system, separate police, separate educational, separate social, uh, administrative. They even had a separate roads connecting the Jewish settlements to each other and to the state of Israel. In reality, I think they have succeeded in creating enough facts on the ground uh, to render the two-state solution uh, no longer possible. Uh, so the two-state solution was taken off the table not by the Palestinians, not by those who reject the concept of a Jewish state, but by Israelis trying to uh, Zionize that small portion, 22 percent, the occupied territories, and make that Jewish and take over more and more land, water, uh, and administrative resources throughout the occupied territories so that you can no longer realistically expect a Jewish state uh, because obviously they don't want to evacuate the over half a million settlers that they have moved into uh, the occupied territories, including East Jerusalem.
You said a half a million settlers. Settlers, yes. That's, that's Jewish settlers living in enclaves that are for Jews only. In that portion that was slated to be the Arab state uh, under a two-state solution. Uh, so that I think it was uh, Israeli right-wing settlers who have taken that particular solution off the table. Some have used the phrase apartheid state. Would you use that uh, uh, designation? I would definitely use it because apartheid is a well-defined legal term. It was defined in the Convention Against Apartheid and All Forms of Racial uh, Discrimination. Uh, unlike terrorism, which is a vague term uh, that depends, that's very subjective, apartheid is a very specific term that talks about acts that distinguish between people on the basis of their race or religion uh, or ethnic uh, status and takes uh, specific action to discriminate against them and to deny them their rights because uh, of their uh, race or ethnicity. This is precisely the situation in the occupied territories and probably in all of Israel. It's almost implicit in the idea of a Jewish state. Uh, that there would be apartheid and a lack of equality and deliberate discrimination against those who are not uh, Jewish. I would not hesitate to use that word, no. Well, what do you think is uh, a practical, a practical, a pragmatic political solution uh, for uh, a government of Israel-Palestine? Well, uh, you know, there is either an ideological or a pragmatic solution. Uh, the pragmatic solution, of course, was along the lines of a two-state solution, where you have one area for Arabs and the other area for Jews, with more or less uh, equality between them. Uh, but, but if that becomes impossible, uh, the other solution would be to have to really work for equality, for genuine equality, one person, one vote, uh, to, to, to uh, totally oppose any laws or any arrangements that... Uh, uh, discriminates against one group and privileges the other. That's the very nature of the fight against racism and the fight against apartheid and the fight against uh, discrimination anywhere in the world. Uh, it is not unique to Israel-Palestine or to South Africa for that matter. Now, some would say that, that a solution like that would delegitimize Israel. What, what do you say to that? certainly would delegitimize its racism, it would delegitimize its discrimination, it would delegitimize its oppression of the Palestinians, absolutely. I think they are correct. Uh, but if their definition, if they can come up with a definition for Israel that, that provides genuine equality between Arabs and Jews, then that would not be delegitimized. What do you see as, as positive work between Jewish people and, and um, uh, Arabs in Israel-Palestine today? Do you see some cooperative work happening and, and some um, work for uh, a common solution? There is a little work uh, of that being done, particularly in the areas of human rights uh, and some in the medical field. Uh, but but, but, but uh, Zionism has chosen a, 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 uh, an ideology called Hafrada separation, like they call the separation wall, uh, separating Arabs from Jews and uh, keeping the Arabs in tightly controlled areas like Gaza Strip or like uh, the, the big cities and building walls and building checkpoints and putting restrictions on their movements 
Uh, when you have those types of, of, of arrangements, uh, then, then it is very difficult to create cooperation because it becomes illegal for good liberal Jewish Israelis to come over to the Arab areas. It becomes against the law and certainly would be prohibiting the Arabs from coming into uh, the state of Israel or the areas that are annexed into Israel, uh, such as East Jerusalem or the settlements. Do you think the United States um, is, um, is, is working toward a good solution? Have they kind of given up? No, I think the United States has never worked for a good solution. The United States has always, and in fact, they've made it clear that, that, they, that they are clearly biased on one side rather than the other, that they are totally in Israel's corner. Uh, I mean, uh, they talk about being a... Uh, an honest broker, but they have never been an honest broker. They have always been uh, totally uh, dedicated and committed to Israel's interests at the expense of uh, Palestinians. Well, what do you think, um, a, a final question for you here, that, that Americans, and in particular uh, Presbyterians at this upcoming General Assembly, uh, might do to promote a just uh, peace for Israel-Palestine? I, I think they have to uh, unlearn and they have to uh, separate themselves from a lot of what they have been learning and doing so far. They have to start working for genuine justice and equality. They have to oppose uh, racism and discrimination. Uh, and they have to stop providing a, a full uh, umbrella economic, military, and diplomatic for Israel to avoid uh, being sanctioned by the international community. Now, the international community, perhaps except for the United States, uh, seems to be more critical of Israel. Yes, it is, and rightly so, because they are violating international law on, on so many, 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 many levels. Do you see um, this boycott, divest, sanction movement getting uh, traction and seeming to be uh, successful? Yes, I think very much so. And in fact, it's a good thing that uh, Christians, Presbyterians included, have been at the forefront of those who are working hard uh, in the divestment uh, movement. I mean, it doesn't make sense uh, for Christians to be making money off of uh, the occupation. So divestment is really more about, uh, shall I say, moral purity rather than uh, really helping the Palestinians. In the Palestinian uh, community, in the larger community of Muslims and Christians, is there cooperation or is there division there? Well, there's a lot of cooperation between Palestinian uh, Christians and Muslims because they both suffer under the under the same uh, occupation. Uh, Jonathan Katab, my guest on Religion for Life. He's the chairman of the Bethlehem Bible College, a member of Sabeel, the Ecumenical Liberation Theology Center, and a chairman of the Holy Land Trust. Do you have a last word for us? Well, uh, I think it is the duty of Christians to try and work for peace and for justice, not to be anti-Israeli or anti-Palestinian or pro-Palestinian, but to really be pro-peace pro-justice, uh, and uh, pro-reconciliation in the end. Dr. Jonathan Kutab, thank you for your work and for being with me today on Religion for Life. Right. Thank you. 
Next week will be part three of my four-part series on Israel-Palestine. I will continue my conversation with Rachel Fish, who is the Associate Director of the Schusterman Center for Israel Studies, and she will offer her view of the boycott, divest, sanction movement, as well as address the question if it is possible to have equality and justice for non-Jews in a Jewish state. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.